If you've ever spent time around teenagers, you probably know that many teens are struggling with sleep. In fact, nearly 70% of high school students sleep less than the recommended eight to nine hours a night. In this podcast, I talked to Dr. Afalabi Brown about how we can make sleep cool with teenagers and their parents too. Welcome to Project Sleep's podcast. Project Sleep is a 501c3 nonprofit organization dedicated to raising awareness and advocating for sleep health, sleep equity, and sleep disorders. I'm your host, Julie Flygar. We're so glad you're here as we work together towards making sleep cool. On this podcast, all guests express their own opinions. While medical diagnoses and treatment options are discussed for educational purposes, this information should not be taken as medical advice. Each person's experience is so unique, which is why it's so important to always consult your own medical team when making decisions about your own health. If you haven't done so yet, please hit the subscribe button so you never miss a Project Sleep podcast episode. And if you enjoy this podcast, please leave us a rating or review wherever you listen so that we can reach more listeners and raise more awareness. The Sleep Insights series invites listeners to learn about this amazing adventure we take every night called sleep. Through these insightful discussions, we examine sleep and our society's beliefs about sleep from a variety of angles. I hope you'll learn some cool new facts and analogies that you can use to help raise awareness about this underappreciated one third of our lives. Hello, everybody. I am just so excited to get started with our conversation of how can we make sleep cool? Question of the hour, question of the decade, question of our lives. But first, I just want to share a little bit about Dr. Afalabi Brown's background. She is a board certified pediatric pulmonologist and sleep medicine physician who helps her young patients breathe better and sleep better. She's a speaker, an educator, a writer, and the founder of Restful Sleep MD. She's here to help families learn how to create the best versions of themselves without sacrificing their health or losing sleep. I'm just so grateful that you are willing to join us tonight. Yeah, thank you so much. I'm, I'm really excited to be here. So the question I always like to, to ask people to start is what got you interested in sleep to begin with? Were you always going to be a sleep educator or when did this come about? I know, right? I, I wasn't one of those people that knew what she wanted to do when she when I was five. Not at all. One thing I did notice or, or still realize pretty early, like when I was in medical school, was just how much sleep deprivation impacted me personally. And I think that's something that a lot of people, it varies, right? Some people, it seems one night of sleep loss and they're just like out. And so I was kind of one of those, but I just kept trying to push it, right? Burn the candle on both ends. And really sleep is not really in your vocabulary as a medical student, but it was a struggle. And so I, I was working much harder than I felt like my, my other colleagues were working until I started to figure out myself, like I'm not one of those people that can really thrive on, you know, reading all night and trying to make it through on caffeine. So I already started to see that even before I knew I was going to have a career in sleep medicine. But then fast forward, I had, you know, my own kids and oh my goodness, <laughs> that's like a whole, it's like flashback. I thought medical school was ridiculous, right? And it was a struggle. And and so that during that time, as well as my residency, I struggled with getting enough sleep. And then during that time, with all the stress and the changes with motherhood, I had bouts of insomnia, right, and anxiety and things like that. So kind of struggled with that a bit. 
And then, you know, even after I trained, um, after my pediatric residency and I trained as my, as a pulmonologist, what I just kept hearing was, you know, these kids have asthma or breathing problems. And, you know, one of the things that's really impacted is their sleep because they're either coughing all night and things like that. And so that prompted me to pursue a fellowship in sleep medicine. And so then I start seeing, you know, kids in my practice and then the parents, the moms, especially, I was just drawn to them again. It was like, you know, something, you know, I don't know how I got here. We could, I could barely keep my eyes open driving here, bringing this kid who doesn't sleep. Right. So it just comes if your child is not sleeping, you're not sleeping. And so then, you know, and then of course, as the kid's sleep gets better and the parents are like, oh my God, thank you. You gave me my life back, <laughs> you know? And I'm like, okay, there's something here. And so really because of my own experiences, that really prompted me to start Restful Sleep MD, where my focus is on, on moms and their children, because it kind of goes hand in hand. And so here I am. So two things that you just said gave me chills. <laughs> like when you said that sleep is not part of your vocabulary in med school, and I know it's true. I'm not saying it's not true. It just gives you chills when you think about you know, in retrospect, that we sleep a third of our lives and that it impacts the other two thirds of our lives so much. Mm. And it's still really not part of that vocabulary. It's just so striking to always hear someone say that. And then the second thing you said about, you know, my kid's not sleeping, so I'm not sleeping. You know, it, it, having narcolepsy, people always say narcolepsy is a family condition um, and it impacts the whole family. And, I, and it's so that just reminds me of that and, and how powerful that is. So I know you've done a lot to educate young people and parents. And so I kind of have the million dollar question to start. How can we make sleep cool? Like what kind of analogies, what do you find gets people to get it more, um, how important sleep is in general? Yeah, no, that's, that's a great question. I love <laughs> making sleep cool. One, because we have to literally and figuratively right so your sleep environment should be cool so you need to drop that thermostat that's to start <laughs> I didn't even think of that <laughs> I know when I saw that I'm like yes oh I get to say that yes you need so just let's just drop that nugget there sometimes when you struggle with sleep at times it's your it's the ambient temperature that prevents you from sleeping being able to sleep restfully and so your core body temperature needs to drop. So you need to cool down to sleep off. So yes, that's the first thing. And then, you know, in terms of making sleep cool, I think it really starts with who we're talking to and really meeting them where they are. So for me, I, you know, I find the teenage phase of life really fascinating. First, they are trying to be cool and sleep is not necessarily the cold. Sleep is almost like a waste of time. It's like a nuisance. That's at the end of the day. So one of the things I think we could do is really trying to connect on that level. And so one of the analogies I've shared, and I can't remember where I'd heard it before, but that's something that I share even with parents, with busy moms who just can't stop, as well as with kids, is thinking about the experience you have when you wake up in the morning and you realize you didn't plug your cell phone. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and then it's like maybe 50%. It's not like dead, right? But as you step out of that house and you get to your destination, 
you're already feeling a bit nervous, like, oh my God, what if this phone dies, right? Like, yeah. is there an outlet? Can I plug it? Or if someone in the middle of the day sends you some heavy video to watch, you're like, Mm-mm, I'm not going to watch that's going to drain me. It's going to drain my battery. And then, you know, eventually maybe you do find an outlet to plug your phone and it's just this relief you get. And all of a sudden you're just more available. You're opening up those apps and trying to check things out. And so the same with us, like we sort of can get by partly charged, but you kind of tend to avoid things that drain you unintentionally because that's what happens when you're depleted of sleep. So even though a lot of times, you know, especially people that have been so used to being sleep deprived, you're, you're so used to it. So you're so used to being tired. You don't even know what rested feels like. But give it a try. If you think you're amazing at this point without enough sleep, try to plug that charge to full and just see how phenomenal you are. And usually, I mean, you know, everybody wants to be a better version of themselves. So I feel like that connects with a lot of people when I sort of use that analogy. So that's one of my favorites. Yeah, that's a really good one. And it's so, so true because we definitely feel so much anxiety about a low battery on our phones. Yeah. And yet it almost as if having a low battery on our sleep is like totally cool. You know, it's so, so messed Mm -hmm. up. What do you think are the biggest barriers that face people, especially teenagers or young adults, to be able to get a good night's sleep? I think there are there are a few things, you know, when we think about that. One, I think, is access to the right information about sleep, which is why I'm just such a big fan of your work, really. I think it was never like, even as someone training in medical school, maybe we got one we get like a lecture on like fatigue and, you know, the duty hours and things like that, but it's not part of, it was not part of our curriculum growing up. So we're not necessarily exposed to this information. So we don't really understand what sleep does. We don't understand that it's not just a cure for sleepiness. It's actually a critical vital (laughs) part of our existence. And so because of that, we sort of skim on sleep and then sleep goes on the back burner because we don't understand it. So I think that's one thing. It's the education of what how, how vital sleep is like drinking water, like, like food. It's so, it's so important, but we don't know that. And then other things I would say are sort of like personal factors. One could be habits, right? things that we're doing that does not promote good sleep. So, you know, it's all the sleep hygiene stuff, the caffeine, the devices, which all of them have one role or one role to play in our ability to get good sleep. And then in addition to those, you know, personal factors, other things that we would consider would be things like environmental factors. So we talked about like, you know, the temperature of your room and, you know, the environment you're sleeping in. We talk a lot about disparities of health. And so if you're in a place where accommodation is not secure, you're not, you're not going to sleep, right? So that's a huge gap, you know, and so things like that. And then, you know, also we think about, you know, societal factors, things like for our teenagers, the early school start times, right? 
the the fact that the the message we're passing across to them completely negates their understanding of how important sleep is so we're like oh yes you should get enough sleep oh by the way you have this gazillion <laughs> have this ridiculous pile of homework you need to be on this volunteer um or this you know these groups these clubs and then oh by the way you need to wake up at 6 a.m to get to school like you know it's it's so much you know and you know of course with the personal it's like for our teams you know they have that circadian shift so everything is kind of just working against their sleep pretty much and it's 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 a whole lot of stuff in your practice how often do you see things that are more like something that can change like that versus sleep disorders in in children it's a mix of them i think i've definitely seen things evolve when it comes to more of the sort of the behavioral and societal stuff with the pandemic, right? A lot more kids are home, a lot more kids are anxious and things like that. So we're seeing the effect of that in their sleep. But then, you know, things like sleep apnea, it's, it's much more common than we think, you know, as high as 6% in some groups of kids, depending on where. And now again, with the pandemic, you know, kids were not getting out exercising a lot of kids are at, at home obesity is on like a re, just a rise right so that's contributing to sleep apnea as well so we see we see just a mix of everything and then that's even apart from you know the younger children with um just the behavioral insomnia and they want you know they want to co- be in bed with mom and you know they have all the pushback at bedtime and things like that most times I would say I tend to see, even in one patient, I could see a mix of everything. You know, they're on their devices for so long and, you know, and then they're anxious. And oh, by the way, they eventually fall asleep and they're snoring. So that gets very interesting. Yeah. You know, I always say, well, I have narcolepsy, so I mm-hmm. give myself a little bit of a free pass on some of the other sleep um, hygiene things, which I don't think is probably the best perspective. <laughs> However, I don't know. You sometimes you just got to do your best. but. I was actually at a pediatric sleep conference a few years ago, and I remember them talking about the stuff around devices, you know, Mm -hmm. because it's not a very cool message to have to tell people, you know, oh, by the way, you should really put your phone away at night. And, you know, especially for adults too, like, oh, by the way, you shouldn't drink alcohol because it's really going to like all these messages are like, you know, and so I guess with the devices, some of the interesting things I learned at that conference was thinking more practically, like maybe uh, changing the content of what people watch instead of saying, don't watch anything, maybe more like don't watch things that are highly stressful or highly addicting to watch more. So I was just curious if, you know, your perspective on the uh, cell phone issue, because I I just imagine with teens, it's even worse. Exactly. And it's like the elephant in the room. You're saying that how uncool can you get by saying, oh, yes, let's make sleep cool. Get your phone out of your room. (laughs) It does shut down, you know, and I mean, the cell phones and, and, you know, there's there's actually like a lot of evidence to support this. Kids are using these devices as their own way of emotional connection, connection with their friends. Um, some use it to share creative ideas. Some have used it to like build stuff. And it's just such an amazing tool. But I think it's, you know, too much of anything is becomes bad. And so really helping them to strike that balance. And some of that takes 
patience and really engaging with the team to say, you know, why, what, what, what's your goal? What, how do you feel now? And how do you want to feel moving forward? Are, are you tired of being tired? Right. So some of it requires some of those conversations, but yes, there are different things to do. There are different alternatives or options. You know, sometimes I, you know, I'm a bit more sort of lenient on using the screen filters, you know, the blue light blocking filters. That's one thing. And also switching the content, like you said. So we're not now sitting, watching, you know, Snapchat where you're constantly or whatever it is, right? When you're constantly engaging or watching a violent movie or things like that, or something very addictive. Because the other piece of it also is, I think YouTube, Netflix, all of them just have this autoplay function. So you don't even intend to, and it just keeps playing. So sometimes I'll encourage families to just disconnect that so that if you're going to turn it, if you're going to watch the next one, you're actually going to search for it. So that's one alternative. And then sometimes one of the other things I, I, I talk to people about doing is, you know what, you can have that time because sometimes also social media or just being on your phone, for some of us, it's sort of like just a way to just relax and wind down. But you can be very strategic about when you're doing that. So instead of falling asleep with your phone, like literally ending <laughs> on your chest or something, <laughs> I wonder who I'm talking to myself too, right? So instead of doing that, why don't we move it to the beginning of your routine? Like set a space where it's in your mind, there's a delineation. Like this is my personal space, my bedroom, a place where I can relax and wind down. And so if we're going to watch and engage and things like that, we could do it. But maybe about 30 minutes before bed, take that down, especially for our teens. Ideally, it's an hour, but usually we'll negotiate about 30 minutes. And then do whatever it is you do, whether it's to take your bath or journal or read or get ready for the next stage, sort of do that in between and then get into bed. So you still get that time. That time doesn't change but you're sort of moving things around a bit and empowering them with the reason why, again, it's not just, it's not because we want you to not connect with friends and, and, and network and be with people. It's just because our brains make all these associations. And also, of course, because of the blue light and melatonin suppression and, and also the arousal that we get from all those devices. For some, especially teens who have a lot of like anxiety and they get this sort of psychophysiologic insomnia where their mind is racing and they actually say, listen, I'm using that phone to distract myself. Then we start to talk about, okay, how about the content? How about switching to content that's a bit more relaxing? If you want to listen to a boring podcast or, you know, something like that, you know, that's still, you still get to, to do that and, you know, help you kind of wind down. Okay. And this kind of goes to this question, whether or not they have a sleep condition or, I mean, because I really feel that as we learn, you know, the, the school start times are not allowing kids to have the, uh, the right timing of sleep that they need. You're going to find that a lot of kids are sleepy in school. Right. And mm -hmm. so when people ask me like, well, then how do you, how do you see the kids with the sleep disorders? I'm not always sure that they stand out or, yeah, I guess I, I don't know that they stand out enough. And so I guess I was just kind of curious, how do you distinguish, uh, besides obviously coming to a sleep doctor and, and mm -hmm. learning more, what do you see that might distinguish sleep disorders from just average sleepiness in kids? 
Yeah, yeah. And you know, that's so true. It's and, and what do we need to see that will prompt you to seek out a sleep physician? Because it's not like the appointments come easy. It's a lot of places don't have sleep physicians. So if you're going to go down that route, do you need to? And and that's a that's a very important point you bring up. So, you know, when when I when we look at sleep, you know, I kind of look at it in, in three different categories. And so we talk about like the sleep quantity, which most most of us, most of our kids, our teenagers with the school start times and everything else, they're already short on that. And so it becomes a huge, a very, very huge barrier to figure out. And that's why so many kids in terms of um, the diagnosis of narcolepsy, right? They go undiagnosed for up to a decade because it's like, well, it's you just didn't get enough sleep. And meanwhile, they're, they're struggling everywhere, right? So that's one. And then the second is like the sleep quality, like are they getting enough sleep, but waking up still exhausted? For example, you know, sometimes what I try to get people to do is try to extend your sleep, say, you know, during the summer, during, you know, during a period where there's really no like regulation in that sense. How are things if they're like, yeah, I sleep, I got my 10 hours of sleep and I'm still exhausted. And then something's wrong with either the quality, what's going on there. Um, and then there, there are like obvious things like snoring or, you know, the discomfort you get in your legs before you go to sleep, which may be suggestive of a disorder called restless leg syndrome or, you know, additional symptoms with like with narcolepsy where you're, you know, maybe you have the strong emotions that trigger loss of tone or, you know, all those kind of things which are unusual or you know, you get enough sleep and it's just never enough. So those are some things that can really prompt um, seeking, you know, a physician to see like what's what exactly is going on with the school. It's it's hard. Um, our school district, because thankfully because of the pandemic, they got they moved the school start time. So I think the kids, the teens, and the high school starts at about eight twenty eight twenty now. So it's still not the eight thirty, which is perfect. But so. But the I was talking to with the superintendent and he's like, it's incredible. Like all those kids at first period just had their heads. He said when he would walk through the schools before they made the shift, their heads would be down because they're so sleepy during that time. So the first period was just a wash. But now they're like starting school at 820. They're all perked up. It's so different. But that's it. There's usually some red flags. And then we start to see that difference when they have periods like spring break or summer where they just like they got enough sleep, but they're still having issues. Yeah, I think that's a really, really good point, because that was actually in my own experience. It was during exams because exams were that we didn't have classes anymore. All we had to do was study, you know, and take our exams. And so I was able to get the full 10 hours of sleep and then realizing I couldn't drive 15 minutes to school in the morning without getting tired. That's when it clicked for me, you know, because there was no restriction. So that's really interesting. And I, and that's, you know, one of the benefits of COVID, you know, there aren't many, but um, seeing some school start times change is Mm -hmm. is really exciting. Uh, But you did remind me of a, a kind of, you know, question about the pandemic as well, as we're seeing more long COVID and um, sleepy or fatigue or brain fog type issues come about from that, do you think that this will maybe add greater awareness around those types of things and possibly sleep disorders? Or do you think it may be that people that have 
had COVID might never consider they could have a sleep disorder because they might just think it's long COVID. I think that's that's where the issue now is. It's what the chicken or the egg was there something that was present. Could COVID have unearthed it, right? Could that have just revealed it? It's possible. It's it's really hard to t- say. I think, you know, with the the sequelae and the, you know, the fatigue and the brain fog and all those symptoms, there's so many factors that play into it. Sometimes it may be things like, you know, of course, the anxiety or mood problems. Sometimes it could be, you know, if you especially if you've been indoors for so long and you're not necessarily getting the activation or exercise or building enough sleep pressure, or sometimes it may be because the fatigue has now led to a point where you're just like in bed all the time. And usually that's something that I try to get people to try to differentiate. It's hard, right? It's hard to differentiate. Are you tired or are you sleepy? It's like, okay, what's going on? Because for some people, the tiredness they feel, they feel exhausted. They feel like they can hardly stand upright for five minutes. But then when they get the opportunity to lay down or to sleep, um, no, they don't, they're not able to sleep, you know, and I think that's usually a very critical piece of information that guides. And that's why we try to measure this objectively with um, the airport sleepiness score, which is just a way of assessing how sleepy you really are compared to just I'm sleepy, but like objectively assess it. And so it has like a group of questions, what, the likelihood of you dozing. And I'm sure you fill that out <laughs> quite a few times. Um, you know, and I think that objectively is is really valuable for me because I've had kids who are like, ah, they're so exhausted. They can't get out of bed. And their airport is two. I mean, anything greater than 10 is abnormal, you know? So I think that differentiation really helps a lot because the way you address someone who's chronically fatigued mm-hmm. um, is completely different or to some degree different from, you know, how you would address someone who's actually sleeping. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a really, really important point, I think. And it's it, it, our language around those terms isn't always so clear, you know, especially when we don't come from like a medical background or something. So yeah. we're not really sure what we're always saying. So yeah, um, so I know you said you're a mom as, as well as a, a sleep clinician and a pediatrician. And I was just kind of curious in general, um, you know, do you think your experience as a mom has that influenced your practice or, you know, your experience as a doctor influence your experience as a mom? Yes. Yes. That's the answer. <laughs> oh my goodness. I thought I would like, Oh, I got this nail down. I'm a pediatrician. What's, you know what I mean? But mm-mm. those kids don't come with a manual. They do not read the textbook. They just do their, <laughs> do their own thing. And so, yes, it completely first, it gave me world respect for moms and everything that we do second it humbled me to think that I felt I was the authority in some parents who you know they're meeting me for the first time and here I am trying to tell them what to do but mom's like "Mm -mm, I don't think so (laughs) yes mom you were right (laughs) so one my empathy and my ability to actually listen so moms completely changed. And that's one thing that I heard a lot. So I hear a lot. It's like, oh, I felt like, you know, as moms, I felt like I was, my concerns were being brushed off and things, but you you have to listen. Like 
you're doing, you know, advocating for patients. We, we as, as, as parents, as I mean, kids cannot advocate for themselves. So moms have to be in tune and speak for them. And so walking that walk, when I hear moms say, no, I'm not ready. Or no, I think he's fine. I, I believe them because most of the time they are almost all the time. They're right. So it definitely changed the way I interact with, I interacted with parents and it changed also, you know, I feel like it was hard for me also like, okay, I'm a pediatrician. I'm taking my kids to the pediatrician. You know, sometimes if they, the first pediatrician, I went and knew I was a pediatrician and they would just gloss over and I'm like, no, 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 no. <laughs> just like, you know what to do, whatever. I'm like, no, I want you to just tell me because I want to make sure that you know, I'm not being biased and things like that. So the second um, pediatrician, I just didn't tell them. And it was just beautiful to just like, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> it was because I'm like, I just want you to, I want to just hear it from somebody else. I don't want to feel like I, I, when I go home, I don't want to be doctor and mom. I just want to be mom. So let me just be mom when I'm here, you know? So, so I think that was helpful too. So it's changed. It changed both. It changed me. <laughs> <laughs> completely my son my kids however don't think I mean right now I mean because they know I have a, a life with you they think I'm pretty cool now but before they're like oh, you're a sleep doctor we're never gonna get to stay up <laughs> yeah I know but I, I let them I try I mean maybe not that often but I, I try you know I give them some you know some time but but I, you know, we try not to shift too much on the weekends and things like that, just because I know it's that social jet lag factor where kids, you just feel like you're, you're pretty much completely moved away from what your internal clock is set to do on the weekend. And then you're coming right back on the week on Monday to try to regulate is really hard. I guess that's a, to me, I'm saving their lives, but they just don't know it yet. Mm -hmm. I feel like I've learned a lot more about that recently, uh, at least about one study that showed that if you're changing that timing over the weekend, mm -hmm. that that might impact you as much as the quantity of sleep that you get, you know, um, which we always think of as so important. But even that timing is so critical. Do you have any tips for people about um, things that they should do in the morning to try to transition in the morning time? Yes, absolutely. I think our morning routines are just as important as our nighttime routine. So there's a lot we hear about, oh, bedtime routines and things like that. But importantly, is having a good morning routine. And, you know, the goal is to get you ready for the day. And if you had a bad night, that's even more important. And one of the things I recommend is when you wake up, not to stay in bed for too much longer. You know, of course, you know, again, as a mom, one of the is like, okay, I have this just brief moment of silence. I'm just going to take this in and just lay here and lay still for as long as possible. But while you should still enjoy those moments of quiet, you don't want to just keep laying there. Really, you want to try to get up. And I think light should be just part of that routine, you know, exposing yourself to natural light is ideal, if not just making the light as bright as possible. So we're essentially doing the opposite of what we would do at night. So at nighttime, we're kind of trying to eliminate that bright light. We're trying to get into like this really calm, dark environment that helps our melatonin production improve, increase. But then in the morning, you want to shut that off. 
So you're, you're really looking to brighten the place up. When we wake up in the morning, we're actually a bit dehydrated. So one thing I encourage is drinking water before you grab that coffee. <laughs> <laughs> grab some water and just drink to rehydrate yourself. So light hydration and movement. And of course, your hygiene, whatever that means, brush your teeth or whatever, but light hydration and movement. And so you can incorporate that anyhow. I think it's really, first of all, exercise and movement is just such a boost in terms of your mood and your energy level for the day. And also it helps set you up for better sleep success at night. And so having that as well as part of your morning routine, I think is ideal. I think that's so beautiful. I don't think I've ever heard anyone quite say that our morning routine should be just as important as our night routine. So, wow. Okay. And do you think, I mean, I've heard people say to take, you know, 15 minutes or I, you know, have a kind of always have a goal of spending the first hour before I get on my laptop and try and take that as me time. Not always so successfully, but, you know, do you think that there's any certain amount of time that you should spend for your morning routine? It depends on how much time you have. So, and it depends on who we're talking to. So if it's a teenager, I mean, they, they barely have, you know, they, they're rush, running to catch the bus, right? Because again, their, their internal clocks are shifted. So they may have gone to bed a little bit later. And so usually what I try to get them to do is, getting as much sleep in the morning as possible because the deep sleep they get at the earlier hours of the morning is so important for their learning, for their development and things like that. So that means their morning routine is going to be a bit shorter, but if they need that light so importantly. Most teens, when you go to their room to wake them up, they just go straight under the covers. You need to gently pull those covers <laughs> and open the windows. <laughs> they need that because they need that to help set their internal clocks. But, you know, they may not get as like this whole period of like reflecting on the day and things like that, you know. But as adults, if you can incorporate that, I think that is beautiful. So apart from those three basics we talked about, things like spending a few, you know, some time to plan your day, some time to just like either journal or just spend, just reflecting before you jump. Sometimes it may be reading a book. It may be, you know, whatever it is. And yes, you want to avoid going straight to your phone, straight to work and things like that as soon as you wake up. And one of the things I usually will say is sometimes as women, usually I would say many times, it's not a sleep issue. It's a boundaries issue because it just, we like feel like, oh God, I ignored people. <laughs> I ignored people last night because I was trying to set my bedtime. Oh my goodness. Let me start answering right away. And then we just let those, all of a sudden that anxiety starts to come. All of a sudden that feeling of pressure, like, oh my gosh, how am I going to get all this done? So you want to prepare yourself. You want to make out that time. And it varies. Some people, if you can get about an hour, I mean, that would be incredible. I usually will say usually about an hour, an hour, an hour and a, and a half. I'm not email or text or things like that. I'm not doing that. Of course, if it's an emergency or someone that's like a family or whatever, then that's different. And the beautiful thing about our phones and our devices is you can set that do not disturb, you know, for as long as you want. So you can actually set those limits and put that in place. Yeah, I love that. I, I mean, I guess it's also... 
was thinking about even saying that, that it's an hour. So that's because I also don't have to commute anywhere. You know, when I used to have to commute across LA for 45 minutes or an hour, that's time you kind of just reflect, you listen to music, you listen to podcasts, yeah. you know, it's not the greatest, but when I work from home now or during the pandemic, there's just that the separation can be a little bit tricky. It is. It is. The lines just get very blurry. Mm-hmm. The lines get very blurry. So if you can, I mean, if you can do it, um, I love podcasts too. So that's definitely or like audio, like an audible book or something, just time for you. You may have done that at night, but it's just a different way to sort of set the tone for your day. I know the days that I've gone on mistakenly hit Instagram or gone into my, I just, it's like, oh, it's going to be a, it's going to be a day, you know, cause you just already start to feel that stress rising, which is why it's important to protect that the best you can. I love that. These are always important reminders just in hearing from different voices, you know, we need so many of these reminders. So I have a question and I like to kind of ask, and I, I didn't actually tell you this totally in advance, but I like to ask people like what keeps them up worried at night and what gives them, what energizes them to start the day. And I guess I kind of mean that theoretically or, you know, philosophically, like what makes you worried when you think about sleep and our culture and the future and what gives you hope and excites you about this field? Yeah, I mean, I think it's, um, again, for someone who's, who's trained in this and I've seen the impact, you know, with a lot of evidence, it's like you can't unsee just what the impact is. One of the things that I enjoy doing is I kind of enjoy encouraging and empowering people and just seeing how drained, exhausted people are. A lot of work that I do also is around helping people sort of set boundaries. And I I see it. I see them struggle with things like that. So that it tends to get to me. I think what does excite me and what gives me hope would be realizing that we are no longer working in silos. So just the incredible people, you know, now talking to you, Julie, just realizing that we can all do this together. We can amplify our voices. It just excites me, right? Like, it's not like we're trying to, you know, we're all just trying to make things better and everybody has that intention. It's like, okay, I'm not the only one, right? It's there's so many people now really taking this on and making this their mission. That's just a beautiful thing to see. I had a friend who said, you know, when I'm in bed sometimes nowadays and I'm scrolling on social media, I actually sometimes see your face. <laughs> I'm like, oh, okay. I so what do you do? He said, I put my phone down right away and go to sleep. <laughs> I'm like, yes. <laughs> beautiful. Because that's, I know she's not going to be anxious, right? Because she's made the right decision. I know she just got an extra hour of sleep instead of the doom scrolling, right? So that that just cheers me up. That really delights me. Yeah. Well, you're doing such great work. And how did you decide to transition into doing more education and, and work like that? Yeah, I still do both. I still work in, of course, I in my employed practice. I still see patients. I think the decision was made when, you know, a couple of years ago, I just started feeling this restlessness. Like I just, there needs to be more. We need to get this message out there. Again, 
the connection I made with, you know, parents or moms, especially, and the exhaustion and the overwhelm and saying that, well, there's the education piece of it, like people just don't know what they don't know. So that was really what prompted me to do that. And also realizing like, okay, I can change lives one patient at a time in the four walls of the, of my clinic. Right. But if I get my message out there, um, I can reach more people, change more lives, especially people that don't necessarily have access to me in clinic. And so then, you know, it's kind of like the best of both worlds. Well, just thank you for all of it. You know, it's also important. I, I, I often think about that running a nonprofit and just someone that is impatient. I'm an impatient patient. You know, <laughs> I, I want change and I want it now. And, and how do you make that impact? You know, that person to person impact is so important, but then doing things like myself, writing a book, you know, seeing that you could impact so many more people that way. So yeah, it's also important. And a huge shout out at this point to Emma, Emma Cooksey, who connected. Yes. Um, Yes. Emma is another advocate on our dream team of of people that are just so genuinely interested in supporting other people and other people's messages and community and this, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I've been drinking the Kool-Aid recently or something (laughs) of this community is such a cool, special community where it's a lot of really caring people. And just surrounding ourselves with all those people gives gives me a lot of energy too. I'm so, just going to put a plug in and just shout out Wide Awake and Dreaming. That book is just, it blew me away. So just sharing your story, I'm like, oh my goodness, it's so beautifully written. And everyone out there, if you haven't gotten your copy, just go grab it. <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> With the moms, do you feel like there's any key pieces of advice? We do have a lot of moms in our community and, you know, that's, it's so complicated. It seems, you know, what's postpartum depression, what's sleep issue, you know, you're not getting enough sleep. Do you have any key pieces of advice for our moms out there? Yeah. Um, you know, so, so much, cause that's that my heart just, you know, it's, it's so connected with that. And that's really my mission. I think it's just you know, it sounds cliche, but giving yourself grace and realizing that prioritizing yourself actually makes you a better version of, of you for others. So we're all things to all people, but, you know, like you mentioned, we're supposed to be asleep a third of our lives and for us to show up the best we can for that extra two thirds, show up as a mom, as you know, a healer, as a friend, as an advocate, as an employee, as an entrepreneur, whatever that is, when you prioritize that one third, literally, it just transforms what you can do with that extra two thirds. So if you can think of it that way and say, I'm going to set time to make sure I rest, I sleep in, I prioritize sleep, you're doing the whole world a favor. It's such an important message. <laughs> I know that other people are are clapping along to that. I mean, that's sort of like self-care or self-healing or self-importance, you know? Why do somehow that that um I've heard that term mom guilt, you know, and release a little bit of that in general, but especially in how we approach sleep yeah. is so important. Are there any other things that you'd like to make sure that you share with our community today? Yeah, absolutely. So if I am the founder of Restful Sleep MD, you'll find me on Instagram. I hang out there. (laughs) 
And I also have a website, restfulsleepmd.com. I have a, a framework that I use, that I share with people to create restful sleep habits. And one of the things I say is you could start sleeping well tonight. Like this is the perfect weekend to start improving your sleep habits. And you could grab that framework from my website and, and really everybody in the family can slap, start sleeping well. So I'm excited. Oh, that's so hopeful. We can do better tonight, guys. Thank you so much, Dr. Brown, for spending this time with us. I just want to wish everyone a good night's sleep tonight. And thank you again to Dr. Brown for spending this time with us. Thank you so much for having me. The Project Sleep Podcast is produced by Carver Sound Productions. For more information on podcast production services, visit carversoundproductions.com.